How many of you, 100%, not 99, not 99.9, but how many of you in here are 100% positive and confident that you will go to heaven if you die today? Raise your hand. Hold on, hold on, let me see. Okay, okay, hands down. Why do you think that? What is the reason that you think you're going to heaven if you were to die today? And most of you would say things like, well, I believe in Jesus. Most of you would say things like Romans 10, 9, I confess Jesus my Lord, da, 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 da. I'm going to mess with your theology so bad today that in 20 minutes, none of you are going to be sure if you're going to heaven. And then 30 minutes from now, everybody will be sure. Okay? Um, there's a cemetery up in um, up north in where that other team is playing. And it's an Indian cemetery. And there's a, a, a tombstone with an epitaph on it that reads this, an Indian tombstone. It reads this. It says, Paul's stranger when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Well, a few years after that tombstone was there, a, a passerby came through the cemetery and he didn't like what it said. And so he took a rock and he etched an epitaph on the back of the tombstone that said this, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. So the question for today is this, which way are you going to go when you die on earth? I believe that most of you that rose your hands at 100% sure, I believe that the first thing you would say is Romans 10, 9. You would say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God is the dead, you will be saved. How many of you, you would use that as your theological answer to why you're going to heaven? That's pretty, if I show hands, most of y'all, right? Christians, that's what you say. I believe it. Okay, here's the, here's the thing is, it's interesting that Christians base their entire eternity on one salvation scripture out of the Bible. That shocks me that we would be, I would use the word ignorant, to say, okay, um, we're going to base our whole existence, life, we're going to base life after death all on one scripture, just one. Because there's hundreds of scriptures on salvation in the Bible. And then I would ask you this, what does it even mean to believe in your heart? Why doesn't it say believe in your head? Believe in your head would be so much easier. Why do we use the term believe in your heart? What does that mean? Does it mean the heart that's pumping blood? Are you going to give me some kind of spiritual mumbo jumbo that you raised in church and you just said, well, I came down to the altar and I did this? Why do you think you're going to heaven and why are you basing most of that on this one scripture, Romans 10, 9? The reason this is important to me is because I battled salvation for many years. Even as a pastor, the first up to the first three or four years of pastoring, I was unsure. There were days where I was 99.9% .9 sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. There were days that I was 50% sure that I'd go to heaven. I didn't know. So this very much interested me for years. I studied and I read every single scripture on salvation. And studied every single one. Because I don't want to base eternity on just one scripture. I want to base it on every single one in the Bible. We can't read one person's email and think we know everything about them. Or see one post on Facebook and think we know everything about them. And there's so many other scriptures on, on, on salvation. And here's a few points I want to lay down before we get into the main, main, main part of it. And that's this. We can know 100%. There is a biblical way, and if you see it on your handout, there is a biblical way to know 100% whether or not you are going to heaven or hell when you die. And I'm going to prove it to you. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write this to you so that you may know with settled and absolute knowledge that you have eternal life. Um, we've been using Disney World as an analogy throughout this series. And so let me, let me use another one with Disney World. How many of you have gone to Disney World and um, it's, let's say, a five-day vacation, and you spent 
hours and hours and hours studying the itinerary and figuring out what you're going to do and where you're going to stay and what you're going to do when you wake up, what time you're getting up, which, which part of this place you're going to first, Epcot, MGM. You get all this settled. All this work has gone on into a five-day vacation at Disney World, yet you have not spent that same amount of time discovering what the Bible says about all of eternity. Not just five days in heaven, but all of eternity. Uh, growing up, our family, we went to Disney World all the time, every other year. So, And my dad's a brilliant man. And I'll never forget, this before there was um, cell phones and before there was a, a, a GPS, he would open up the map before we leave South Carolina. And he would literally take five or six minutes and just memorize this whole big old map and then put it away. And we would head off to Disney World from South Carolina. I mean, it was amazing. We'd be there in 24, 25 hours later. It was, um, it, it was, it was very smart. Just kidding, he's not here, so I can say that. But here's the point. We spend all of this time planning a vacation, but no time with, to make absolute for sure that we're going to go to heaven for all of eternity. Let me give you another quick point. You don't have to remember the date. You do not have to remember the date that you got saved to know if you are saved or not. And uh, I've heard people say, well, um, I, I, I went to youth camp when I was 16 and I, I got saved. But then when I was 24, I walked the aisle. And then at 36, I, I said a prayer. Uh, it might have been 24, maybe six. Uh, maybe when I, I think when I was 24, that's when I got saved. You don't have to remember the date, but you got to know that you're saved or not. And in the Bible, it likens salvation to marriage. And if I asked you, when were you married? You may forget the date one time, but you won't forget that you're married. You will not forget the fact that you're married. You will not forget the day that somebody came into your life, changed your life. You now live together and you have a relationship with that person on a daily basis. You won't forget that you're married, but you may forget the date that you got married. Um, another point is this, Satan lies about heaven. And I have, to, I have to really give this to you before we get into the stuff. And here's what I need you to understand. Satan deceives people into thinking that they're saved. If you were Satan, I know some of you think you're married to him, but you're not. If you were Satan, if there was ever an area that you would try to use all of your demons and the most powerful deceptive demons in someone's life, what area would you try to deceive them above every other area? It would be the area of making them think that they're saved, but they're not. Satan would not lie to you and tell you you're, Satan wouldn't tell you you're going to hell and be truthful with you. He would try to deceive you into thinking you're not going to hell, but you really are. Don't you think if you were the devil, that's the first thing you would do? The Bible says in Revelation 13, 6, the satanic beast opened up his mouth to blaspheme God and slander his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Satan tells you things like this. Heaven's the boring place. Hell's the fun place. Satan tells you um, things like this. He says, um, well, you're not, you're not good enough to go to heaven, but you're not bad enough to go to hell. He lies to you and he says, and we're going to talk about that in this series about Christianity versus Muslim and Buddhist. And we're going to talk about all this stuff. I'm going to teach you how to have a conversation with, um, with, with Jehovah's Witness. I'm going to teach you all this kind of stuff. But he lies to you and he says, oh, there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. Look at all these other people. He says things to you like, God would never send all these other people to hell. And we talked about last week how God doesn't do that, that people choose hell. But either way, he lies about it. Um, there are more people in hell than in heaven. This is an incredibly sad point. There are more people in hell than there are in heaven. It's because Satan deceives them and says, well, if you just go down to the altar today, you're saved and that's it. If you just confess that Jesus is your Lord, then you'll, you'll go to heaven. That's all you got to do. 
And he puts these religious things in your ear without ever getting down to the root of if you are saved or not. Let me prove to you there's more people in hell than in heaven. Very, very sad, but I'm going to let you guys be the mathematical theologians today. And you tell me this. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction or hell. And there are, what's that word? Many who go to that, but the gate to life is narrow. And what's that word? Few people find it. So here's my question. What is more, many or few? Many. There are many people who go to hell and few, according to this scripture right here. Now you would think, judging by the funerals that you've been to, that everybody's in heaven. I mean, when you go to a funeral, if there's any time that a pastor lies, we lie at funerals. That's our best lie. Man, we can put on a great straight-faced lie and say, Billy Bob's in a better place. We know that he was a scoundrel. He never went to church. He hated people. He cheated, lied, you know, stole. But he's, he's in a better place. He's not in a better place. And I'm never going to lie about y'all. So let me tell you, if any of y'all die this week and I don't think you're saved, I'm not going to lie. But Billy Bob was, in, evidently we're talking about, a funeral in Aner. But anyway, Billy Bob, so he, he, was, he was mean to people and he cussed like a sailor and he treated people bad and da-da-da. But he's in a better place. No, 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 no. But yet, every funeral you go to, somebody says they're in a better place. And there's a, according to the scripture, most are not. Most are not in a better place. Um, okay, so let's get to the salvation test. Let's actually find out if you die today, if you are going to heaven or hell. And again, I'm intentionally messing with your theology and what you think. I'm intentionally trying to break down walls of religion and how you were raised and what you heard. And I want to get a clean slate in your heart. So that is my goal, to have a clean slate in your heart in the next 10 minutes so we can then build on that foundation. So the salvation test. The reason we're taking the salvation test is because it is biblical for someone who thinks they are saved to take a test. It is biblical for someone who thinks they are saved to take a test. Let me prove that to you. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves and find out if you are really saved in the faith. If you pass the test, you'll discover that Christ is living in you. Otherwise, you're counterfeits. Everybody say the word counterfeits. Okay, so counterfeit money, on the outside, it looks like it's the real thing. Until it is tested. I was thinking about whenever you get the flu. When you go get a flu shot, it's, what they do is they put a counterfeit flu inside of you. They give you a fake flu. They, they give your body a piece of the flu so it makes you think you have the flu and your body fights against it. And a lot of people today have counterfeit salvation. They think they're saved, but they're not, and they have been deceived. And none of us in this room are, are too good or too smart or too humble to ever be deceived. We can be deceived. And I think the reason a lot of people are deceived is because they're getting conception mixed up with birth. This is really good, so pay attention. The Bible talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a seed, okay? Um, Conception, pregnancy, and birth. When someone conceives a child, that child is not born right away, correct? There's conception, then there's some awful part in between, and then there's birth. What's that awful part called? Hell, that's right. And so then there's conception, and so... Conception is you hear the word of God. The seed is planted. The Bible talks about if it's in good soil or not. The seed's planted. And when the seed is planted and you hear the word of God preached and you hear a scripture and you just have this sense on the inside that God is real or maybe you're just walking out in nature and God speaks to you and the seed is planted and you say, oh man, there is a God. I believe, in fact, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that is the seed. But then the birth or the being born again is I'm going to make him my Lord. 
I'm going to turn over my life to him. I'm going to surrender. In between that is the tough part, the pregnancy. It's where you decide, I believe, but I don't know if I want him to be my Lord or not. And you go to church and you come out of church and you wrestle with it and you don't wrestle with it. And you think, yeah, then you think no. And you want to give him control, but then you don't like it. And then you want to be in control and you don't know what to do. And then finally, at some point, a lot of people abort the seed. A lot of people abort it. They have in their head, remember the scripture didn't say believe in your head God rose from the dead. It said believe in your heart. They believe in their head everything, so they think, ah, that's enough. And what happened is they never get to the part where they're born again. So if you didn't know it, this is a really good sermon, just in case you weren't aware of it. It's a really good sermon. They didn't, they, they, were, they didn't get to the part where they were born again, and they say, okay, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to surrender my life to you. And they have a counterfeit salvation. So here is the test. Here's the test to see if you have the real thing or not. Number one, have you called Jesus Lord? Everybody that's called Jesus Lord, raise your hands. It doesn't matter. Put your hands down. That has nothing to do with heaven or hell. Not a single thing. It says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. So bam, that, cross that off your list because that does not matter. Number two, have you used godly gifts to do great things for people? Have you used the gifts and talents God's put inside of you to build the kingdom of God, to help people, to give, to be kind, to encourage? Have any of you used godly gifts and talents to build the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus? Raise your hand. doesn't matter. Put your hands down. It says in Matthew 7, 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? We've driven out demons. We've done mighty works in your name. But I'll tell them openly in front of everybody, I never knew you. Depart from me, you wicked people. Man, does that stink. Here's why that stinks. These people in this scripture, they didn't go to a church where they sing out the hymnals and during the sermon, you don't know if somebody's dead or asleep. They went to a church like ours. This was a radical church, man. They were prophesying. There were miracles being done. And so if many, listen, mathematical theology, if many who did this are going to hell, how many more people who just sit in church and do nothing every week are going to hell? Man, does that not rock your theology? I hope I'm making y'all like go crazy on the inside. <laughs> many are going to hell who did this. Um, and let me, let me tell you another thing too. Uh, I, I'm not the kind of pastor that, 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 that argues on once saved, always saved. But I want to make a good point about this. Jesus said, I never knew you. Jesus doesn't forget people. He doesn't say, I knew you when you were young and you veered off and left. He didn't say, I once knew you, but then you went your own way and did something different. He said, I never knew you. But Jesus, I, I, I went to church and I sang and I gave and I did these things, but I never knew you. We never had a relationship we never started. So <clears throat> let me give you an example for this. There's a movie, um, a movie, there's a musical called Fiddler on the Roof. Um, how many of you know Fiddler on the Roof? Y'all are losers like me. Great. Okay, so Fiddler on the Roof is a musical, and it's an old musical, and if I me my memory serves me right, this husband and wife, they had an arranged marriage, and it was tradition for their to arrange marriages, and their marriage was fine. They lived happily ever after. It was great. They had five daughters who they were planning on arranging their marriage and finding suitable mates. But the daughters came in and said, Mom and Dad, we, we found some boys that we love. We want to marry them. And they said, whoa, 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 it's tradition. We got to arrange the marriage. We pick out who you're going to marry. But Dad, we love them. And so they went off and the husband and wife are now downstairs and they're, 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 they're just contemplating what took place. And the husband, 
he leans around the corner to his wife and he says, do you love me? And he sings it to her. It's a musical. And she sings back, what are you talking about? He said, well, do you love me? Because he thought our marriage was arranged. And she said, oh, be quiet. He said, do you love me? And she said this, well, I cook and I clean and I do the dishes and I do the clothes. But do you love me? Well, I, I iron your clothes. I take care of the kids. I've been with you when we've been poor. I've been with you when we've been rich. But do you love me? Well, I was with you whenever we were sad. I was with you when we were happy. We share a bed together. But do you love me? And people say, well, I'm going to heaven because I did this right and this right and this right. And I'm better than this person. You know, this person's awful. And I do this and I go to church and I tithe. And God's saying this, but do you love me? Well, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. I did miracles. But do you love me? Where's the relationship? That's what he's saying. Salvation, the essence of salvation is a relationship. Number three. Do you believe in God? You think, well, hey, if I believe in God, I'm definitely going to heaven. James 2.19. James 2.19 says, do you profess to believe in the only, one and only God, but then complacently sit back as if you've done something wonderful? Even the demons believe and it makes them tremble. Now, if that doesn't rock your world from Romans 10, 9 to if you believe in your heart, God rose from the dead. And, G and what about John three sixteen? Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So what does that mean? If the demons believe, then how am I any different than that? Okay, let me explain to you what the word believes means. And nobody ever explained this to me my entire life. My entire, no one ever told me this. I, one thing I can't stand is when I just don't like it when ministers or people use terminology. They expect everyone to understand. And people, don't under, people just don't get it all. So what does it mean to believe in your heart? To believe, believe, believe. Here's what it means. It doesn't mean to believe in your head. It doesn't mean do you believe that Jesus was actually a man, son of God, died, rose again. That's a head thing. It means do you believe in Jesus? And here, let me give you an example. And don't nobody say nothing for the next 30 seconds. Do you believe in Trump Hillary and Obama. Well, of course we believe in them. We've seen them on TV. We've met them in person. We've read their books. We know they're real people. No, 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 no. Which one do you believe in? Which one do you support? Which one do you love? Which one do you want to tell people about? Which one have you read about? Which one do you believe what it is they want to do? Which one do you believe in their ways? Which one do you believe in? That's what it means to believe. Yes, you can believe in your head that someone exists. And you, you say, do you believe in John Paul? Yeah, he's standing right before me. No, do you believe in his calling? Do you believe in what he wants to do? Do you believe in how he wants to change the world? Do you believe in how he wants to help people? Do you believe in what he wants? Do you believe in what he has? Do you believe in him? And you can't say, I believe in Jesus, and then take this book, because the word was made flesh, and say, you know what? I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in this part. I don't know about this part here. I'm a justify. I don't do this part right here. If you believe in Jesus, you believe in, in everything in this right here. Number four, am I good enough to go to heaven? Am I good enough to go to heaven? Mary, Jane, and Ron can say yes, but everybody else has to say no. Um, <laughs> am I good enough to go to heaven? Okay, this is the last thing I'm going to do to mess with your theology, and then we'll go to the main thing, the main course. I'm going to tell you about a man named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. Don't ever name your child Nicodemus. It's weird. But anyway, Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Jewish teacher. Nicodemus, listen real close. He went to church every week. Everybody say every week. Every week. He tithed every week. Say every week. every week. He prayed every day. Say every day. Every day. Now listen to this. He fasted 
twice a week. That's two times more than you fast every decade. He fasted twice a week. And he memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, I was about to say Matthew. <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, which is the one that whenever you read through the Bible in a year, you never really read. Numbers and Deuteronomy. Five books. He memorized. Memorized. Now, according to what you would see in Nicodemus, and I'm going to say it in a Socrates way, who is gooder, you or Nicodemus? Nicodemus. If you had to compare, if you had to say between you and Nicodemus who fasted twice a week, prayed every day, memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, tithed, went to church, who is a gooder what you would think is a Christian? Either you or Nicodemus. Definitely Nicodemus. Now I'm going to show you what, I'm going to show you what Jesus told Nicodemus, okay? John 1, John 3, 1 through 5. Watch this really close. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, Rabbi's capitalized because he knew he was the son of God. We know that you have come from God. So he was a believer, so we think. For no one can do these miracles unless God be with him. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Unless a person is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked this question. Now, this is a very smart question because people just don't understand our spiritual lingo when we try to lead them to Jesus. He said, can a man be born again after he's already been born? That's a great, great question. Very good question. Jesus said, unless he's born of the water, which is natural birth, and the spirit, he'll never make it into heaven. And then Jesus said this very, very important line. He said, don't be surprised, Nicodemus, when I tell you, unless a man is born again, he ain't going to heaven. Now, Jesus just told a man who fasted twice a week, who knew he was the son of God, who tithed, went to church, did all these things. He said, you are not going to heaven. So if Nicodemus is not going to heaven unless he's born again, how many of us in this room, if we had a heart attack right now, would not go to heaven? And how many people in your life that you judge and you think, well, they're definitely going to heaven and they're not. And then people that you think, well, they're just an old sinner and they don't deserve this. And you judge them? You, we, we're, not, we're not even half as good as Nicodemus and we judge other people thinking that they're not good enough? Oh my good! Do you know that our righteous deeds are like rags compared to God? That's biblical, like rags? So let me mess with you. Watch this. The thief on the cross. You see how good Nicodemus was? The thief on the cross, he never walked down an aisle. He never said the Lord's Prayer. He never read Romans 10, 9. He never served in church as far as we know, never did anything good. And yet all he looked at Jesus and said was, remember me. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. One sentence to Jesus and a man who, was, who committed so much sin, he was hanging on a cross to die. And he is going into heaven, and Nicodemus was not. What about Saul, who murdered Christians and wrote half the New Testament? So here's what I just did. I just spent the past 23 minutes completely destroying any foundation that you thought you had on going to heaven. And now the next seven minutes, six minutes, we're going to put it back together. Ready? Here's the question. How do I know that I am saved, that Jesus is my Lord, and that I'm going to heaven? How do I know? Now, here's the thing is, is um, I don't know how to tell this for you. So I'm asking a question to myself, and I'm going to let you hear. I don't know what your answer will be, but how do I know? How does JP know that I am saved, that Jesus is my Lord, and that I'm going to heaven? So I'm going to explain it to you the best I know how. 
I grew up in church. I knew all the mind stuff of the Bible. I could even twist scripture and justify things that I wanted to do. But no matter how hard I tried, I always ended up doing the wrong thing on a regular basis. And I enjoyed doing the wrong thing. I enjoyed being constantly in sexual morality. I enjoyed lying. I enjoyed cheating. I enjoyed stealing. And something in my heart, this is my magnet. If, um, let's just say that this is hell over here. So y'all are in hell. And let's say, oh, wait, Mark's on this side. I'm sorry, y'all are in heaven. And I'm just kidding. Okay, hell's over here. Heaven's over here. I wanted to do right. And every time I tried, I would end up always going back this way. And this is a very important word for you to remember. And the word is polarity. The polarity of my heart, naturally, because we're born to sin. We're born on the road to hell. The polarity of my heart was always selfish, no matter how hard I tried not to be. It was always wicked thoughts, no matter how hard I tried to change. And the polarity of my heart always went in this direction. I was constantly being drawn in that direction. And I liked going in that direction. I wanted to have the desire to go to this direction, but the desire wasn't always there. And so one day, number one, I asked Jesus to be in charge. One day I told him, I said, listen, um, I am completely awful. I cannot change myself. I've tried to change myself. Um, I've tried hard. I've read the self-help books. I've tried to, you know, discipline myself. I've done everything I can. But for some reason, no matter how hard I try to go in this direction, I always end up going back in this direction. And so I told Jesus, I said, listen, I can't be in charge anymore. If somebody's going to be in charge, it's going to have to be somebody that's wiser than me, that loves me more than I do. And it has a better plan for my life than the plan that I have for myself. And so I need you to be in charge. And this is important because it says in Matthew 16, 24, if any man wants to come with me, let him deny himself, his own interests, take up his cross and follow me. If you want to save your own life, you'll lose eternal life. But if you give up your life for me, you will find life everlasting. Listen, I went down to the altar a hundred times. I prayed with the sinner's prayer a hundred times. I looked up scriptures and sermons. I did everything I could to change. And for some reason, nothing changed. I kept going back in this direction until one day when I finally told God I suck without you I am evil without you my thoughts are hideous without you I'm selfish I'm self-centered I cannot do it on my own there's no way I can go forward on my own anymore and one day number two took place he changed my life and when he changed my life he changed the polarity of my heart now I actually have a desire to do what's right I have a desire to serve God. I have a desire to forgive when somebody does me wrong. I have it now. Listen, do I still have flesh patterns and flesh desires? Yes. I'm still a man. I am still someone who gets hurt. I'm still someone who, who, who doesn't always want to do the right thing. But no matter how hard I try to do the wrong thing, I can do the wrong thing, but I always end up going back over here to this side because the polarity of my heart has changed. My question is, when did that happen for you? When did the polarity of your heart change from I want to do what I want to do all the time to I want to do what he wants to do all the time? I can still do the wrong thing, and I'll try, and I'll do the wrong thing, but no matter how hard I try to do the wrong thing, I always end up going back in this direction. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Work out your own salvation with reverence and trembling. Go to the scripture. 
Discover what it really means to be saved because God is always at work in you, creating in you the power and desire to do his will. I wanted the desire to do his will, but the desire wasn't there. So he put the desire in me when I got saved. When we get saved, the responsibility of change is no longer on us. It's on God. That's a, that, this is what separates us from every single other religion on planet earth. Every single other religion says you can change on your own. Your good deeds have to weigh out your bad deeds. You can do this. You got to do this. You got to act right, pray right, da, da, da. And now the responsibility for me changing is not on me anymore. Here's, let me prove it to you. I have a thousand flesh patterns. So if I said, okay, I'm going to change myself. Well, which one do I start with? And how far do I go? And how hard is it going to be? But I let God be in control of my heart. So when he wants to change me, he changes me. When he wants to deal with something in my life, he deals with it. I still mess up and he fixes it. And I mess up again. He takes care of that. And I mess up again. He just keeps on working and working and working. And so now the polarity of my heart is going in the direction of God. Number three, the fruit of my life shows that I love Jesus. Um, we are not anyone's judge, but we are their fruit inspectors. The Bible says you will know someone by their fruit. I have a friend who claims to be a Christian. I mean, he knows scripture left and right. Not one piece of fruit in his life shows that he's going to heaven. Not one single piece of fruit. And with all of my heart, I believe he's on his way to hell. And I've tried to tell him, I've tried to teach him, and he thinks I'm crazy. Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not obey me? And you can still disobey God and be saved. We do it. All. Listen, you can love somebody 100% and still do them wrong. Don't ever think, well, if they love me, they wouldn't hurt me. That's the, I had somebody actually said to me a few weeks ago. They said, oh, well, if you love people, you wouldn't hurt them. You're a pastor. You say you love everybody and you love this. and that. I said, you can love someone 100% and still do them wrong. They said, no, you can't. I said, well, do you love your dog? And they said, yes, I do. I said, would you ever do your, do your dog wrong? They said, no, I would never do my dog wrong, ever. I said, good. Do you love God? Yeah, I said, well, do you love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your spirit? Well, yes, I do. How many times have you done him wrong? So we can still do the wrong thing, but the polarity of our heart always goes back this way. Now, the last two minutes is right now, and this is the most important two things I'm going to tell you for the rest of your life. If there was only two things that you got from this church forever and ever, and it stayed inside of you, it is these two points. There's nothing more important than this, and I can't even verbally communicate it as powerful as I want to. So I'm just going to say it. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, plus every single book in the New Testament says the level to which you love Jesus Christ is the exact same level to which you love and serve the local body church. You will never hear anything more important than that your entire life. The entire New Testament, but especially these four chapters, tells us that the level to which you love Jesus is the level to which you serve the local church. The local church, we are in this room, we are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Don't tell somebody, I love you, but I'm going to beat the crap out of your wife. You wouldn't do that. But yet people do it every day to the local body. They talk about the local body. They, they turn their back on the local body. They steal from the local body, from tithes and offerings. On and on it goes. The level to which you love Jesus is seen the level to which you love what he loves. The, the church that he died for. And these people in this room are very fallible. They're not perfect. They're not perfect at all. That's why it's tough. If we were all perfect, it'd be easy to love each other. And last point, number four, I've gained 100% confidence that I'm going to heaven. How do you gain 100% confidence? Like, how would someone gain that? How do I know? How can I tell you and look you in the face, I know 100% I'm going to heaven? Here's how. 1 Timothy 3.13, those who serve in church well 
will gain great confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus.